0: We are returning to our study in Titus. We've come to the end of chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. Would you rise with me as I read the Word of God? For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope of our and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, And purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And then Titus says, or Paul says this to Titus, Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We come to you and to it with anticipation. We need to be strengthened in our spirits, we who are in your grace. And we who may not be need to hear the true gospel of Jesus. So, Father, we pray you'd give ears to hear for all of us, and that our hearts would be good ground for the seed of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. William Newell is a name that most of you probably don't recognize. You would recognize something he wrote. But let me tell you about him first. He was a very troubled and wayward teenager. In desperation, his father wrote to the president of Moody Bible Institute and asked special permission that he be allowed to enter the school. But since Moody was designed for serious Bible students, the president was hesitant. And yet he finally agreed that William Newell could be enrolled with the condition that he would meet regularly with the president and that he would take his studies seriously. Newell's life at Moody Bible Institute was described as three steps forward and two steps back. His father kept praying, the president kept meeting with him, and God began to work in this young man's life. And somewhere along the way, William Newell realized that he was a condemned sinner. That despite all of his human giftedness, despite his intellect, which was incredible, and later he was invited back to Moody as an instructor, but despite all of this, he discovered that he himself was destined for an eternity in the lake of fire, apart from the grace of God in his life. And so finally, he surrendered to Christ And later he would put his testimony in words. These words. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied. There, my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Those are the words of someone who has realized their lost condition. Those are the words of someone who has fallen on the mercy of God and received what God offers with joy. You see, brothers and sisters, when the grace of God truly comes to a person he becomes transformed entirely by that grace. The Word of God says it like this, if any man is in Christ, he is, what does it say next? A new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. Let me say that a different way. A life transformed by the truth is a life conformed to the truth. Paul wrote this paragraph to Titus who was left in Crete to set in order the things that are lacking. That's a statement that he makes in the beginning of the letter. What was lacking? The church in Crete had some people claiming to know Christ but whose lives denied Christ. Paul's instructed titus concerning the long-term strategy and that is effective meaningful spiritually oriented relationships in the body of christ older men instructing the younger men older women instructing the younger women younger men who are strong and bond servants who are not cheating but living according to the doctrine of god and paul says that we should adorn the doctrine of god just like you got up this morning and put clothes on you should get up every morning realizing that you have been clothed in the righteousness of jesus And now Paul will remind us, right smack dab in the middle of this book, like drawing a target, if you will, Paul will remind us what this grace is that we've been called to. First of all, it is a distinguishing grace. Back there, it's not on the screen, so I'm a little confused, (laughs) but I'm glad to see that it's good here. That's what matters. All right, it's a distinguishing grace. Notice what Paul says first. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us. Do you see that distinction? Now, God has always had it in his heart that the entire human race know who he is. From the very beginning in his covenant with Abraham, he says that through you all the world will be blessed. And and Paul picks up that same statement, applies it to Jesus, that in Christ the world is in God's view, if you will. And so Paul is saying this grace has appeared to the world. Not that everybody has seen Jesus, and not even that everybody understands who Jesus is, but that he has come in behalf of all people. John said it like this. He is the propitiation. Propitiation is a word we don't use anymore. But it means the sacrifice that ended God's wrath against our sin. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of who? The whole world. God's salvation is destined us. For the world but only those who receive the grace personally can can understand and embrace and experience its transforming effect and dear ones i need to tell you that some of you in this very room may need to understand that just knowing who jesus is that he's he's the 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 son of god and that he died and he's risen from the dead that is not enough to get you to heaven the james says very soberly that even satan believes that about jesus I cannot count the number of times that I've asked church members if you die tonight are you certain that you would go to heaven and they say I hope so but can I just say to you that believing that Jesus bore your sins in his own body on the cross is not a nebulous spiritual experience if I changed the question and said have you been born you wouldn't say I hope so because you, you're sitting here, you have life, you're breathing, you're interacting with other people hopefully, you're real. It's obvious that you've been born. And dear ones, it should be just as obvious as life itself that you have been born from above. We live in a culture that has so softened the gospel that people, can't, people don't know if they're saved or not. And I'm going to tell you something, this passage tells you if you're saved or not. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure, there is no condemnation in being unsure. There is a welcome from God that you need to make sure. It is, first of all, a distinguishing grace. It is, secondly, an empowering grace. It says, it's appeared to all men, but it's teaching us. You hear that distinction? It's teaching us what? That denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly, in the present age I love the word teaching because it's the same word that is used in the Bible for parents raising their children and God is raising us his children to know and embrace the empowerment that comes from him because the living Jesus lives within inside us and notice also that that word has an ing on it teaching it infers that learning is a process And one of the first things we learn as we are in the faith is that how lost we really were. One of the things you don't realize until you are in the light is how dark the darkness was and how desperately we needed Jesus in our lives. This, dear ones, produces an astonishment that God would draw us to himself, that he would want us. We also learned the incredible love of the Savior that He would give Himself for the likes of us, that He suffered in our place in order to give us eternal life. And God in His holiness and in His justice could have just as easily condemned us to an eternity in hell because that is what we deserved. But instead, He rescued us. And one of the things I pray for myself is that I never get over the grace of that brought me into God's family. And this causes me to pursue him with a spirit of thanksgiving that, and, and, and it should be that way in everyone that the more we understand about who Christ is and, and what he's born to bring us into his family that the more we would want to put away the things that actually put him on the cross. And Paul refers to those as ungodliness and worldly lusts. These things are still pleasurable or they wouldn't be temptation, Right? But growth in the knowledge of what Christ has done means that we are growing to choose to put away those things and to put on the way that is commensurate with who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul refers to three effects of this empowering gospel He calls them soberly, righteously, and godly. Sober living is that same word that Paul has used for older men and older women earlier in the chapter and for elders in the first chapter. It is a living that is clear-headed, cautious, and intentional about life. Righteous living, the word has a sense of righteousness toward other people. You see, because when you're right with God, you also try to be equitable and just toward other people. And godly living is an inner piety, that, that new compass heading, if you will, because as Ezekiel 36 says, that God says he takes out the heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, a heart that is responsive to him and that, that moves and hears his voice when he speaks and obeys. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's not perfection. He's just saying that's how you know who's who. And why is it important that, that Paul explained that godly living transformed by grace has to take effect in this present age? Because this age, this age from the cross to the coming, is the age when Satan has been loosed on the earth to do the evil that we see all around us. It is also the age where God says, I'm calling a people to myself. It is the age where God's spirit is in the world, convicting it of sin and righteousness and judgment and it's the season of earth's history where grace is just being poured out you can't judge the world by what we see in this country we are so compromised in this country it's pathetic but God's grace is being poured out across the world and God especially in the Muslim world is calling people to himself in these days. This is the, this present age, dear ones, where we, and, and, and we don't have that culture, the whole world culture, we have our culture. And God is calling us to apply the grace in our culture as he has given it to us. Because we are in the truth, we are people whose behavior is being molded to be Christ-like. Sober behavior, righteous behavior, and godly behavior. The grace of Christ is a distinguishing grace, an empowering grace, and it is also a hopeful grace. A hopeful grace. He says, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus. This life is just a staging area for eternity. (laughs) That's all it is. And, And now that we've been brought into the light of who Jesus is, we can see the temporal nature of the world that we live in. And our hearts are motivated more and more for the world that is to come. Can I get an amen for that? I, I don't know about you, but the older I get and the more friends I have who have gone on to be with the Lord, the more there's just a little twinge of envy inside me that they're there and I'm still here. But our hearts are motivated by the ultimate truth that we will someday see the Lord Jesus Christ face-to-face where, and be with him where he dwells and where the body of sin will not be present anymore. Man, aren't you looking forward to that? Can you imagine just one second into eternity when you don't have to deal with your flesh anymore? <laughs> you talk about being born again. <laughs> That's what it'll feel like. And, and, and this tendency towards your heart and your heart is, is magnetized towards sin so often and, and that tendency will be over and done and complete and finished forever is it any wonder we'll worship forever that alone would be enough but In his presence with unveiled eyes, we will see him in all his glory and splendor. The one who gave himself for us with the scar still in his hands, but robed in the splendor of heaven. And we will forever bask in that glorious presence. You see, our hope is rooted in a love relationship with that one. And our eyes desire to see him face to face. We anticipate his coming because he's the one who took our place. His blood was spilled for our iniquity. His physical appearance was marred more than any man. And his heart, which had never known personal sin, was now guilty for the sin of all humanity before God. And every human being who's ever lived and every human being who ever will live, his sacrifice bore their sin. And this includes the sins we know about. It includes the sins we don't know about. It includes the sins that we've harbored and allowed to fester and to ruin our spiritual vitality. He bore those sins, dear ones. All these Jesus took upon himself when he gave himself in our place. And the longer we live in this grace, the more we understand the depth of our depravity, the cost of our redemption, and the great love That brought it to us. Newell continues. Oh the love. That drew salvation's plan. (laughs) Oh the grace. That brought it down to man. Oh the mighty gulf. That God did span. At Calvary. And here's the litmus test of salvation. Jesus said. He who has been forgiven much. Finish it. Loves much. Dear ones, if there is a boredom with the truth of God, if, there, if the truths that are so precious to God cause a ho-hum response in you, if your sad effect in your countenance cannot be revived by these truths, I want to ask you, do you really believe that you are born again? There is not a shred of evidence in the Word of God that God's truth can come upon a life and leave it unchanged, untransformed, unmotivated, or unresponsive to the truth. Not a shred of evidence. It is our American version of Christianity that says you can walk an aisle, sign a card, be be religious, and be okay with God, and God says that is untrue. That is not true. That is a lie that has come from the very pit of darkness to deceive, and so that you will miss god's eternal truth the greatest truth humanity could ever understand is that jesus christ bore our sins and because we are in his grace we are a hopeful people longing to see him in his glorious appearing and god's grace is a transforming grace notice the text he has come to redeem us from every lawless deed. He is, this transforming grace has taken us from lawlessness to righteousness. Notice it says every lawless deed. That means that in bringing salvation to humanity, God took into account every detail of our rebellious disobedience to Him. And He has covered it with His grace. The law. We, it says that we have been redeemed from every lawless deed. Now, some people may get confused here and think, well, what has the law to do with it? It has everything to do with it because the law is that which is God's holy standard. Some people say we're not under law, we're under grace. Well, that's somewhat true. We are actually always under law because the standard of God never changes, but it's only in Christ. That the law has been satisfied; its demands have been satisfied. We ourselves, dear ones, listen. If Christ hadn't given Himself for us, we ourselves would have to suffer for our iniquities in the fires of hell forever. Because the standard of God never changes. But in our place, the Son of God has offered Himself, and in 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 place of our sin, He has imparted His righteousness. Man, somebody ought to be speaking in tongues by now. just kidding (laughs) I'm just kidding still Baptist (laughs) but we have been transformed we've also been moved from filth to purity he says to purify for himself listen if if something requires purification it means that, that it's impure and that's a really nice way of saying what we were like outside of Christ The Bible actually uses much more descriptive terms. It speaks of humanity's efforts to get to know God on our own terms as filthy rags, is the English translation. And the original terms are very uncomfortable, even embarrassing. The original terms God uses are for a woman's cycle. And the cloth that would be used for it. And God says that is what your best effort is like. And it is not so much to offend us. But it is to communicate how offended God is at our sin. And our best efforts, dear ones, are headed for the same fire that that cloth is headed for. Because it's good for nothing but to be burned. And that is exactly what human righteousness is for. It is will be cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. God alone knew how utterly defiled the human race is. And God alone did something about it. Why did he act in our behalf? Because he loves us? Yes. But it's more than that. Notice it says that he purified for himself Purified for himself, his own special people. Think about that for a minute. The gospel has not come to you in order to make you happy. Although, if you are in the grace of God, you actually are happier. And the gospel has not come in order to give you peace, although if you are in Christ, you have the peace which passes understanding. And the gospel has not come to make you a better person and give you a better life, although when you are in Christ, you are a better person and you do have a better life. Listen, the gospel has come because we were fallen and we were under the condemnation of God. And God understands that because we are his highest creation, that His reputation is at stake in his highest creation. And and his reputation is marred because of the sin of this race of Adam. And God loves his own reputation. And so he purified for himself a special people. He set out to exercise his perfect grace. In perfect justice, meeting the requirements of the law. In perfect mercy, because God is perfect and he's exercising mercy toward us. Toward a grossly imperfect and filthy and undeserving race of humanity. And he has redeemed and purified for himself, his own special people. Paul says... We, were, we are now special. We were outcasts. Listen, everyone in this room, I think, is a Gentile. <laughs> if there are any Jews, raise your hands. You're, you're welcome here. <laughs> Gentiles were outcasts. Now we're in. We've been brought near in Christ. God has made us his own special People. And what is it we do? We are zealous for good works. This transforming grace has taken us from a life of disobedience to a life of obedience. Again, not perfection, but the overall tenor, the overall tone, the overall character quality of our lives is obedience. We have not only been made good from the inside out, we have been made to want. To do good. And so that, it shows on the outside, by our, through our behavior. That's the whole point of Titus' book. More than 13 times he says that good works are an evidence of the grace that resides within us. And that is, so, so if you're in the truth, you are conformed to the truth. And as far as Titus is concerned, as the leader of these churches in Crete, he is to speak these things and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one despise you, Paul says. There are two two prongs to the gospel. It should encourage the hearts of the congregation who is in the grace of Christ by a proclamation of the truth. If you're in the truth, you love hearing the truth. It doesn't matter how many times you hear the gospel, you still love it every time you hear it. And I truly hope this morning, if, for those of you who are in the truth, that you have been encouraged and strengthened by the truths that you've seen. But Paul also says that, he, that Titus is to rebuke with all authority. What might this mean? I don't, it, it, you rebuke that which opposes the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Now, I don't think there's anybody in this room who is outright opposing the gospel. I truly think that. But I'll tell you what does oppose the gospel. That is hearts that are stubborn and unmovable to the truth. Apathy toward the grace of God and toward what Christ endured to bring us to himself, that opposes the gospel of Jesus. And continuing to think that we, by our own efforts, can earn God's favor enough that in the end, he'll tip the celestial scales in our favor is an opposition to the truth of God's gospel in Jesus that he reveals in this book. And but dear, dear ones, if any of that just described anybody in this room, then you, this morning, are invited to come to Jesus. I want us to close our eyes. God's word this morning has told us what the gospel is. It is clear that a life transformed by the truth is a life conformed to the truth. So you make the evaluation. You decide. Let the Holy Spirit show you right now where you are. Are you in the grace of Christ Jesus or are you still outside? The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. You have now understood what it is. And if you have understanding and you realize that you're lost, it is in fact God's invitation to be saved. Would you ask him this morning to save your soul and deliver you from hellfire for eternity? Would you come into a relationship that is a redeemed relationship, one that touches every part of your life and that you would join the company of God's saints who are in him and zealous for good works. The hymn writer said, All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I invite you to make this the prayer of your heart. And we will, let's just sing it together quietly and without accompaniment. And let it express your heart whether you are saved or whether you're coming into the family to be saved. We want to surrender all to the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ. I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. you have not only heard the words of our mouths you have examined the intent of our hearts we are grateful that you see us as we are we can hide nothing from you and truly Lord we who are in your grace want to hide nothing from you you are a good gracious loving father and you have given so much make us your people would you help us to comprehend these truths that our lives would take on more and more every day of who you've called us to be that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of the lord jesus in his name amen